Welcome to NPS I Love You, a podcast powered by Catalyst. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and this show is all about awesome people, ideas, and stories, all with a customer success twist. On NPS I Love You, I talk to everyone from artists to scientists, CEOs to CSMs, and everyone in between to give you powerful insights that will help you in your career and in life. All right, we are recording. Welcome to debate number two, Who Should Own Renewals? For those who don't know, we did a great customer success debate project at Catalyst. We asked customer success leaders who should own renewals. The two options were customer success, so purely CSM ownership, or sales or account management supported by customer success. The results were 41% for customer success managers, 50% for sales or account managers supported by CS, and 9% undecided. So hotly contested debate, and we have two experts today joining us to take on either side of those debates. So I'm going to ask very quickly for each of them to introduce themselves, and then we will dive right in. My name is Sabina Pons, and I am the Vice President of Customer Success, Support, and Community and Loyalty at Mavenlink. Uh, We are a recurring revenue SaaS-based business, and at my team, Client Success, we own renewals and expansions at Mavenlink. Phenomenal. And Scott? Yeah. Hi there. Um, My name is Scott Tazilo. I am the Senior Director at Braze of Customer Success, specifically focusing on our global strategic accounts. Uh, Really excited to chat about this today. Excellent. And of course, I have my own opinions, but I'm not in charge of any team, so they count for a lot less. Uh, So (laughs) to start off with, I'm going to sort of bounce over from side to side. So the first point to argue for renewals being owned 100% by CSMs is that if it's not, then there are too many cooks in the kitchen. It's a bit of an umbrella topic, but Scott, can I throw that one to you? What, What do you say to that argument that if you have it owned by multiple folks that there are too many cooks in the kitchen. I mean, listen, it's uh, it's it's not about the number of cooks; it's the quality. At the end of the day, I personally believe that you know having multiple people on an account is not a bad thing. It's just more, multiple touch points for you to get information from the client and, and to have different types of relationships with them. How you deploy those different people into a, a different situation, whether or not you you know pull in nine people onto a call with one person, you know that's all tactics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you can set things up in such a way that you know tactically you're going about things in a really smart, strategic way while still having multiple people on different streams on a particular account. Um, granted, I'm super biased, you know, like I, my team works on accounts that span the globe, mm-hmm. you know, so like when we think about servicing an individual account, I have, you know, sometimes upwards of 12 people that are working across an, an individual account across all of our various time zones. So I'm not afraid of cooks in general. <laughs> as long as they're really good cooks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all about the talent. Excellent. And Sabina, what do you say to that? So do you have, you know, can the CSM do it all? Or what are your thoughts on that argument? If we're going to keep with the the culinary theme, I would say (laughs) that when a customer goes to a fine dining experience, they prefer to have the back of the house stuff stay in the back of the house. They want the sous chef and, you know, the QA prepping and cleaning the room of the plate to stay in the back. They just want to know what the beautiful culinary creation is as it sits down in front of them that it's going to be to their liking. And I think I'll caveat that with when it relates to SaaS, that it depends on the type of product in which 
is being delivered to customers? Is there a complexity to it? I know I can speak to my experience. I've worked on businesses where it was a large, heavy implementation. And by the time that a client is actually going live and seeing value, there's been perhaps 12 different employees that have helped that engagement go live from the, you know, quote unquote vendor side. So in that scenario, they're pleased and happy to have one point of contact for the rest of the life of their journey. And that that ultimately is the experience to mitigate additional inputs that they might already be getting internally at their own company. If there's many cooks in the kitchen on their side, they find it refreshing and seamless to work with us. And in other cases, we're one of probably 10 vendors. They don't want to have five resources at every vendor with which they're working. The convoluted side of that is that the if there's not a separation between the customer success manager and the whole team who's sort of behind them and working that whole process, then literally everything goes through the customer success manager, including negotiations or negative experiences or discussions about contract. The CSM is is up to their neck in all of that. Do you think it's important to separate kind of so-called church and state and have sales or account management or someone else handling all the finances so the CSM can focus on relationship building? Or do you find that that hasn't been a, a conflict at Mavenlink? I believe that in order to have that relationship building, all those touch points may be, they need to be viewed holistically. And to address, say, you know, open accounts receivable, and to address perhaps a negative experience, as we call them in the industry, escalation, resulting in a negative adjustment, and and more positively, helping to provide references for pre-sales prospects. All of that, plus obviously the adoption, the expansion, and the renewal, which is our lifeblood, If that's taken off in silos, then I don't believe that one could present a holistic customer experience. Scott, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it does take more coordination, right? It absolutely does. You you have to be in lockstep. You have to march as a team together. I just think that that's a, a coordination and communication challenge that you have to get over more than anything. You know, when I kind of look at how a lot of our biggest customers work, look at this, right? You know, smaller companies, maybe newer companies, you might be negotiating directly with that end user that, you know, is signing the contract and also using the tool that you're selling them. But more often than not, like a lot of large companies that we work with have a procurement person, right? Like these companies recognize the need to separate negotiations out from the end experience. And they do that tactically, right? They do that for negotiation purposes more often than not. And I I can really think it'd be a little bit foolish not to take that cue and influence that into our strategy as well. I also recognize that procurement people are not a, a standard, right? You know, and and you probably do need to, to Sabina's point, take different tactics, different approaches for different types of customers, different customer sizes, different customer segments, maybe even verticals or, or location in the world in which um, uh, where they exist. But by and large, you know, I think everyone knows that negotiations can get a little bit messy sometimes. And I think that just giving you an out as a CSM from having to have that messy, difficult conversation means that you can come in at the end of it and either smooth things over or, you know, continue a conversation with just a different tenor at the end of the day. Sabina, would you agree? Procurement is absolutely something that we're seeing more and more of. I think that's the trend with mid-market and enterprise customers. And as such, we need to be equipped as customer success practitioners with the playbooks to overcome those challenges or opportunities. I do think that 
the idea of separation of church and state, I do agree that there's a time and a place for that with certain, again, certain applications. I think it just depends on the complexity. I think it depends on the relationship and the nature of a client's engagement. If it's a point solution, if it's something that has a pretty fast, easy enablement with just, you know, some, some simple configurations and the client is literally live on the application within a week, mm-hmm. that's a totally different ball game. There might even be auto renewals, a low, you know, tech touch model. The world in which I hail, we have the gamut, but the majority of, of our focus obviously is on the high touch customers and one where we have, it would be uncomfortable for us to introduce somebody new into a discussion at the time of any commercial. Mm. It would be awkward almost. Yeah. And so I, I definitely do think, and that is my caveat for this whole podcast, I do think that the, the caveat exists. It depends on the circumstances. Yeah. And I do recognize that there's, of course, two sides to it. Yeah, I also think that you bring up something just really, really interesting that I kept coming back to when I was preparing for this debate. We all know very, very well just like how ill-defined customer success is. It, it really is dependent, you know, how you give customer success out to uh, your clients is really dependent on the product that you have. And Sabina, like that, that aspect of intricacy, I think, is really core to these conversations. On the brave side of things, you know, really looking from my own personal experience, we're a really technically complex tool. It, it's, you know, we're talking to people across the entire organization uh, in many different uh, departments. It, it often means that, you know, having a technical expert that can dive into the day-to-day mm-hmm. uh, separate from the negotiations is is really helpful. And candidly, it's just, it's hard to hire talent that mm-hmm. can be marketing experts and technical experts and account managers and own like a thoughtful renewals and, and negotiation process on top of that. Mm-hmm. I'm curious though, like when I think of Mavenlink, I also think of it as like a really, really technically complex tool, one that requires like a lot of integrations. And, and so I'm curious like how your CSMs context switch between those two functions. It is very complex. And that is, in fact, why we have a whole separate professional services team that does, you know, all the onboarding. And I know in some other roles, it's Mm. customer outcomes management, and they do the onboarding and drive the adoption. There's account management and other functions that sit aside success managers. Within SaaS, your, your point is right. This is still a new practice, relatively speaking customer success is not defined and it is not consistent from organization to organization. That's also what's beautiful about it, that we're, we're paving the way, right, for what's to come 50 years from now. It'll be like, yeah. CSM should own renewals. But ultimately, within our organization, what we found is there are still those subject matter experts. And in fact, we've gone so far as to create a department that we call outcomes engineering. And it straddles both pre-sales and post-sales. We found significant success with this in the sense that we have an outcomes engineering resource, so a solutions consultant, an advisory services consultant, and several of them actually that we can engage as is needed to do a robust technical deep dive workshop. I'm not expecting my team members as, as customer success owners to have to be able to do that. That's not what this particular role here is about. They do need to be able to know our product well. They need to be able to explain when a new feature is deployed, what the particular benefits and ROI that a customer would see, and not just generally, but across different use cases and verticals. I do expect them to do a little bit of light solutioning, a little bit of light training, but they're not going deep, right? It's it's kind of like the appetizer. Here's what I here's what I know. Here's the area I don't know, but let me at least give you this. Is this what you're thinking? Okay, let me go and engage some resources to help you. So it's not to say that the CSM really truly owns everything. 
They're just the conduit to help assess and ascertain what is the right next step. The renewal we do actually own, the expansion we own, and the the, the add-on there, I would say, for true enterprise accounts, we have a really good sales success engagement model where for named accounts, we have that partnership. The AE is involved in lockstep. And if there, it's usually when there's a net new division within a larger conglomerate, we have the incumbent and we want to grow into other spaces, we'll engage the AE. We'll keep the current customer happy and keep working with them on their strategic objectives and outcomes, and the AE can go run the new part, and we'll have internal syncs and sometimes even join meetings together. So there's a couple different flavors of what works for us, but the key, I think you you nailed it, is the talent. The, the people that we hire, they have to have the profile that can use the left brain and right brain successfully. And I think that in general, not just within success, but that's a trait that's becoming more prominent in technology overall. I want to uh, jump in here because I always find that I like to define things periodically throughout to make sure we're always debating the same thing. So what we have established is that there are, at both of your companies, multiple people who touch the customer at some point. There's multiple people involved. The CSM doesn't do everything at the entire point through the entire engagement. The question is around renewal ownership. So when it's time for renewal, what do we mean by, I think we all know what we mean by renewals, but in terms of ownership, when you're thinking about the topic that we're debating, can you sort of define what you mean by ownership? It has to do with whether it's compensation or metrics or OKRs, whatever that is. Can you give a really brief description of what that would be? When we look at like how an AE and a CSM work together at Braze, it's really in lockstep. We try and keep an AE on an account from like, the moment they're sold through their lifetime as much as possible. Same with the CSM. And then ideally, you know, over the life cycle of that entire client engagement, the AE and the CSM work totally in lockstep. They not only learn the client and, and the intricacies of that client, um, but they also learn the intricacies with the success point of view and the sales point of view. And, and that lockstep nature really allows us to give a singular experience and that isn't super disjointed to our clients at the end of the day. Both are of our teams are gold off of renewals and upsells. There's a little bit more of a variable component on the sales side as opposed to the success side here, simply because we do have sales owning that. But we want to make sure that all teams feel the benefits of winning and, and retaining business. So we try and align our incentives from our PBC perspective as much as possible to ensure that we all are driving towards renewals, we're all driving towards upsells, we're all in this together. And then when we think about getting closer to you know, a renewal, really it's about coming together with your AE and defining what are going to be the steps that the success person takes to help get to a successful renewal, what, is, what are the steps that the AE are going to take, and you know, how often do we need to be in touch with one another to ensure that we're on the same page. So, you know, that might be the success person doing an EBR and the sales person inviting some new executives into that EBR that have not turned from us together. And then afterwards taking out some of those executives for coffee, you know, it's really supposed to be this idea that like, you are going in as a team of two strategically, and you each can play different parts, good cop, bad cop, you know, <laughs> have that sort of dynamics between how you work together and leverage that to strategically push an account forward. So I'm biased because that's the uh, the exact model that I came from at my my previous company. So in my mind, I'm like, yeah, that works. And everyone's play, everyone plays to their strengths. So I don't mean to make it two on one, Sabina, but I'm curious how you define renewal ownership at, at Mavenlink. And then the follow up to that would be why you might, as we learn, <laughs> elect to put that entirely on the CSMs versus splitting up the responsibility and maybe having complementary skill sets and doing it as a, as a pair. 
that Maven link, um, I think it's important to talk about the strategic, the tactical, and then the metrics to set the groundwork to answer your question. So um, from a strategic perspective, some companies think of minimizing churn. We like to think of it as, you know, maximizing retention and growth. Mm-hmm. And the tactical approach to that goal is going through and reviewing the original contract, the original, you know, hosted services agreement that was signed, reviewing every single subsequent order form and statement of work against those, and really being equipped with the commercial legal aspect, if you will, of what's transpired all along the way. And then reviewing any trends. We have a checklist, right, that a CSM has to go through before they even begin the conversation six months in advance with the customer and making sure that they're also clear on what the feature requests were, what were the support tickets that were open, how long do they take bringing in all this data that we're using um, in our current uh, client success automation tool to be as educated as possible to begin that dialogue. Also recognizing who were the people that originally purchased the software in the first place. Was that just an economic buyer or were they also the PS leaders in my context and or those the day-to-day users, end users, and, and who in that mixture is actually still with the company today? And what the business objectives were when they first signed, are those in fact what they are now? And so having maintained knowledge along the journey as it inevitably has changed for everybody with COVID, that's an important piece of information. And I, I find that having, you know, again, too many people trying to keep that locks up, it's not only um, difficult to do to maintain that seamless communication and avoid playing telephone, but also it's not efficient in terms of cost to Mavenlink. So with, with that being said, um, the way that I think about how it should work, as I mentioned, there's that tactical checklist, the metrics that we're, we're driving, I believe in the concept of inspecting what you expect. So therefore, the, the KPIs, and the comp plans that tied to those should be driving the behaviors that are intended, which to my initial point was retaining and growing our business, minimizing any you know, leaky bucket concept by way of, of growing and expanding it, protecting that ARR as best as possible. And so what we have in the comp plans today, they have a 80-20 mix where of that 20%, the core metric one is a team goal. It's based on gross dollar renewal rate. And in fact, some of those supporting roles across the company, as I mentioned, outcomes engineering, they have an MBO MBO component where they're tied to gross dollar renewal rate as well. So it's, it's my team at the end of the day that's booking the number, but they're assisting with it. So they are also measured on it as well. Then the secondary metric is an individual component that is upsell, aka midterm expansions. That could be services and license revenue, where the license revenue is more heavily favored, slight higher percentage right there. And then we have accelerators and some kickers, and then we'll also sprinkle in some spiffs across the year. So a spiff that we did starting in July of 2020 was pushing for multi-year renewals. And any renewal that was two years or greater in contract length, all of ours are a minimum of of 12 months, any that were two years and onward that maintained at least a 95% dollar renewal rate would be treated to a $100 gift card, the employee would, to Omaha Steaks. And the thought, the thinking there was, all right, well, we're in a pandemic, we're all quarantined, and if someone was a vegetarian or vegan, we work something else out for them. However, the spirit of it was was really positive, and it actually drove unprecedented multi-year renewal terms. Again, inspect what you expect. The funny story that I'll share with you is that one of my employees actually served his whole family steak at Thanksgiving from all of the upsell renewals and, and gift cards he was able to secure as a result. Excellent. Sounds delicious and uh, and good for the company as well. 
Digging a little deeper on that, I'm curious your thoughts around the the skill set because one of the points that was brought up in the ebook was just the driving value and driving commercial terms require two different skill sets, which seems like it's embraced embraces approach. We have two people, two different skill sets approaching towards the same goal with a shared comp, and it sounds like that's on the CSM. It sounds like you've got some CSMs that are successful at it, but I'm curious what the if that makes it more difficult to hire or if that kind of shapes brings up other challenges essentially. We hired a very different profile when I was hired in almost five years ago. It was much more of of that soft skills relationship building aspect than it was being able to have the commercial relationship in addition to. And I believe that what a key turning point was is coaching and development and also hiring the right profile for our need, our business needs. Coaching and development means that every year with our annual company kickoff, there's breakouts and we get to participate in sales training and workshops. You know, we got to do the Jay Tyler training, we got to do the Hoffman training, we did Winning by Design, Time at Amelia, all these great programs that really have strengthened our skills as customer success practitioners and also, frankly, as consumers, right? Buying a car has never been easier. Um, so, so being able to be crisp and even the way we write emails and craft emails, the way that we face the beginning of a call with a client and using these certain techniques that, again, they're not, they're, they're titled as sales trainings, but they're applicable for anybody in business. So that's one part of it. But then again, hiring the right people, hiring people who have done this for 10 years, 12 years in Silicon Valley and SaaS doing renewals, perhaps they were account management and they're, they've been in, tech, in technology for years, that the other pieces can be taught. I think the most important piece though, is that they're, they're confident and that they can own it. They can be a domain expert in professional services automation and they also have the confidence to go toe-to-toe perhaps with a CFO or procurement person. And it, it is it is possible. I've hired 40 of them, over 40 of them. And our, our, not to be overzealous here, but in January, we just came off of our fiscal year end. We just booked the best cohort dollar renewal rate, the best net dollar renewal rate, the best logo renewal rate we've in the company's history. And that's with the pandemic. I've hired six people who are fully remote, but they've done it before. And so to be able to, to bring that together to a point where we've improved our, you know, our percentage points across the board by at least 20% since we started hiring this better profile of people, it's making a difference. And I think that they can be done. So, so I have a question for you. Sure. You know, I think it may be like it's a very technical product. Uh, are your CSMs technical or, or is most of the technicals sort of outsourced to the onboarding, the initial setup? And therefore, the CSMs don't need to get into like the, the technical details of the product. We don't have to get incredibly technical. I would say on a scale of a 10, we're intending most technical. We have to hover around a five or a six. The, the heavy lifting is truly coming onto the onboard. We have over 60 integrations and then there's data migrations and bi-directional data feeds and all that good stuff. So, yeah, it's, yep. that's primarily where it exists. And then there's often follow on engagements. Right. If they, again, the business shifts or pivots, they have they got rid of their old GL. They need a new GL. They're implementing NetSuite. That is an engagement we would have and have with our professional services team. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. And it actually might be kind of the crux of the difference in the roles and, and whatnot. So you were talking about like training and everything, and, and how you know you can train your success people to be sales leaders, and can like you absolutely can. I mean, you could train your success people to do anything technically they, they are jacks of all trades by uh nature i think um at the same time though like i at least at the braze and we do so much technicals and we are expected to have so much domain knowledge across so many technical concepts that when i look at like enabling my team 
I have to almost entirely dedicate that enablement to being those subject matter experts. Mm -hmm. I have salespeople that, you know, are good at the sales stuff. You know, they, they can negotiate all day long, but they have no concept of how push notifications get to a device. You know, they, they could not help anybody when it came to like email deliverability concerns. So when we focus on just like the few hours a day that we have to enable, uh, we're really putting a lot of our investment in just ensuring that we can have that technological powerhouse of a CSA as opposed to that, you know, commercial powerhouse. And that's not to say that we don't have CSMs that are commercially minded, right? They're always looking for upsells and passing important information over to the AE and really laying the red carpet for that AE to come and, and get a meaningful upsell or expansion. Um, so we are commercially minded, but I wouldn't say that we're the ones, you know, sitting down and reading negotiation textbooks frequently. You know, we're way more into like the API documentation. I would say too that the the supporting functions around the organization are equally important into to driving that experience. So looking at our client support team, I'm biased because I also oversee them too, but they're phenomenal, right? They've received industry awards, and I believe that that that's predominantly switched from email to, and phone to live chat. Customers prefer that, is what we found. So the idea that that that's the first stop for them. Secondarily is with Mr. Mike Rizzo, as you know, Ben, um, our user community, right? So creating as much self-help and then therefore case deflection from support, there's more avenues now for customers to not only get help from our knowledge base, but then from each other. And then, you know, taking it a step further, having, you know, customer advisory boards and user conferences and all those things to follow. So trying to make sure that we have the customer have as many resources available to them so they don't need us to be technical experts. And if it is something, again, complex, it's a new you know, tech services, professional services engagement. We keep back and coming back to culinary references, but the, the phrase that popped in my head was the, uh, there's more than one way to, well, no, there's more than one way to skin a cat, I think is the original, but I was going to say there's more than one way to make a salad. I'm, skinning a cat is not culinary, uh, for the record. Uh, <laughs> Maybe in some parts of the world. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no judgment on, on NPS, I love you, but I think it's a, it's, you both bring up a really great point because you can choose where you allocate your resources in terms of enablement and at Braze, you've allocated that towards technical training, which then gives a whole other advantage that CSMs at Mavenlink might not have, but then CSMs at Mavenlink have this enablement being put into sales training, commercialization, which gives them an advantage that the Braze ones might not have. And so it's really all about figuring out what, I guess, the best fit is for your company, for your structure, and you could probably achieve very similar results with two different approaches. I would say it's admirable that you're both, <laughs> you're both of your companies and yourselves are investing in enablement for your CS teams in general, because I think that that's something that's way underdone in our industry. So one of the points I, I wanted to move to was that dealing with client trust, I think there's some really interesting pros and cons in terms of how that applies to generating renewals. In my personal experience, I, where I worked in sort of the, the Braze, let's say, format, it was great because I never had to, customers never questioned my motives. I was always 100% on their side. In fact, we had this little, I wouldn't call it a game, but if the AE proposed, you know, gave them a proposal and they weren't happy, they would come to me and they'd be like, Ben, we can't pay that 120. We have a maximum of, of 100 that we can do for this. And I'd be like, well, okay, let me see what I can do and go inside and, hey, Dan, can we whatever? And then everyone's happy, right? I was always their champion. And I was always concerned that if I was the one pushing for a certain renewal, that I would then lose their trust or they wouldn't fully trust me in that same way. So I'm curious if that's an issue that's been brought up at Mavenlink. It has not been brought up as an issue before. I think that the, the key to anything is transparency. 
we're transparent and answering questions about our application. We're also transparent in, in providing detail on you know the contract and the order forms. It's important that I, I can say with certainty that a lot of the uh, commercial aspects of Mavenlink's relationship with our customers is organic. A lot of them come up now. So the example I gave earlier, they have an integration perhaps with QuickBooks or Xero as their general ledger. Well, the CFO at their company is changing to NetSuite. Well, let's sunset that one. Let's reallocate some of the license dollars. Let's get you the NetSuite connector. It's complex. Is it safe to assume you're going to need some help with that? Okay, yes. All right. So here's a professional services engagement. Here's a statement of work. Can I help with anything else? How are, you know, I heard that you're growing. I saw, you know, on your blog post that you had an acquisition and there's some, you know, news around that. Let's let's talk about what your needs are going to be. And perhaps let's redefine your contract terms now and do a consumption-based model that's going to get you what you need over the next three years where it ramps over time, like a college student loan repayment plan, mm-hmm. right? There's lots of options and I think it becomes a true partnership at that point, right? Where, where you're, you're hearing their needs and you're understanding, you're making recommendations. And it's not, we have, we have a quota to hit. It it does genuinely come organically. Mm. And even in cases where it is year end, we ran, you know, a couple of promotions that said, Hey, if you want to add some additional users, now we will give you a price break. Everybody does that in SaaS and we're transparent about it. It's our fiscal year end. My team, you know, can get, you know, some great champagne as a result of this. What do you think? Are you going to have them anyway? Sure. You're going to need those licenses in Q1. Let's pull them in now. And you're good to go. And, and again, the thing that I love about the space that we're in, not only the practice of success, but specifically in tech, is it's business for us. It's business to business. Our customers are going through the same exact thing with their own clients. So just being transparent about it, I don't think it becomes a challenge. And I think it, in fact, becomes a strength. So, Scott, because uh, that's sort of the flip side of this, right, is that because the CSM has the trust of the customer and can be, as, as Sabina said, extremely transparent with them and you know, have that relationship with them. Is that a concern that you ever have at Braze around not having that transparency or a CSM saying, you know what, we can't have this conversation, but I'm going to bring you over to this AE person. They're going to tackle it. Curious if that's ever something you've you've run into. It's, I don't think it's viewed as like not transparent. It's just like, it's not my job or my function. You know, like I'm, I'm here purely to help you and, and you need to have faith and trust that the advice that I give you is commercial agnostic. You know, and and that's something that we leverage and and really do keep that that church of state as as separate as as possible. When I really look at the conversations that we're able to have because of it, you know, it does mean that people come to us and ask us really earnestly, like, what would you do? You know, like. And sometimes that conversation is like, hey, like you might have to pay more, go get this vendor, like this tool would be useful for you. But other times some people come to us and say like, I can't, I literally do not have budget. I want to do this. What can we do? And at least we have that conversation. And and um, I think that's just a little bit harder to have, A, when you do manage the commercial relationship and there is this, you know, expectation of money transfer. The other thing is that, you know, it's, um, and I, I, kind of keep coming back to this aspect of technicals, you know, we're there to like roll up our sleeves and fix a problem for you. Um, and we're going to do that and get you into a good spot and then like deal with the money later. And muddying those two conversations can be really very challenging in my experience. So just keeping them separated can, I think, grease the wheels for easier conversations in both areas. One of the points that was brought up in the ebook was that renewals are transactional without a value add and therefore don't align with the core function of of customer success. I wouldn't say, and so this one I want to, I'm curious to get your thoughts on because I would say renewals, maybe if you're renewing for the exact same 
like status quo nothing's changed like we paid that this year and then this year we're just asking for that price to go up that i would say is transactional without value add but what a missed opportunity yeah you know mm-hmm. like totally a renewal is one of the most important moments in your relationship with the customer like even if we do not own a renewal we're involved in renewals you know like that's a critical time for us to come together to look at what we've accomplished together and ensure that we're still driving value um so i actually kind of disagree with that point even though i think that was supposed to be a point for my side or something <laughs> hey, whatever like that. Works. at the end of the day like honest here yeah, like the, that moment is, it should not, like renewal should not be transactional. It's a moment for you to really come in and make sure that you're on the same page. And if you aren't on the same page, you figure that out and hopefully save your business afterwards. Because if you don't get on the same page, I mean, expect churn. It's interesting. You can have it, a, like you said, you can build it up and make it this big moment where it's like we can review everything. It's this big ordeal. But it's funny because one of the other points that was brought up to Sabina's point was, or to, Sabina, to Sabina's side, was that renewals shouldn't be a negotiation. They should just be a natural continuation of the customer journey. And people were saying things like it shouldn't even be a question. It shouldn't, it should just sort of sail by as like a, you know, of course we're renewing. That goes without a question. What are we doing next week and talking what about that? What a nice world that would be. <laughs> I don't I mean, know who lives in that world. <laughs> right, exactly. Like every every client is going to look at their tool set. Everyone's going to look at their P&L. Everyone's going to look at ways that they can save money. Like it, it's foolish to assume, or, or arrogant, honestly, to assume <laughs> that like it's a renewal. It's just going to happen. It should. If you're doing your job well, it should be a foregone <laughs> conclusion. They're challenging, even in the best situations. That's okay. Challenging is not bad. Uh, it just means that you have to have some tough conversations sometimes and make sure that you get on the same page. And if you manage that conversation really well amongst all of your parties, everyone can come out feeling really good about the end result. So one of the other points that, that came up in the debate, and I, then I'm going to loop into this one because I feel like they're related, was the single points of contact versus multiple points of contact you know, what's the better customer experience? Now, correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like Mavenlink is very much single point of contact. That person is the conduit to the rest of the company. Everything goes through them and back and forth, pluses and minuses to that. Scott, is is it the same at Braze? It's more of a tag team. You know, yeah. there's there's kind of two people. There's that main AE points. and that main lead CSM that are kind of driving things forward. And, you know, if if it's expansion related and new business, we might lean a little bit heavier on the AE having that conversation. If it's, you know, existing business capabilities and features and functionality, we might lean a little bit more on the CSM. But both parties are incredibly aware of each other's conversations and are contributing to each other's conversations as well. So it is kind of like that tag team approach that we take. So Sabine, I'm, I'm curious uh, at Mavenlink, one of the points that was brought up on that side of things is that it can slow things down, let's say, when everything has to go through one person. Is that something you've come up against before and something you've maybe figured out a way to, to challenge? Or is that sort of a, for the greater good, we just have to accept that it, communication might be a little slow at various points? In the history of the company, it, it, way back when, it used to be the case that people had multi, multiple connections within Mavenlink. And clients would you would go to you know the head of product and they'd go to the you know head of finance. Well, as we've grown you know uh, and and scaled, that's in fact not scalable. So, looking at the approach that has worked for us is in fact having at least the CSM be the main primary stopping point. Of course, we facilitate you know uh, meetings with product managers. If there's a specific you know feature request and a need that we're finding there's a theme across our customer base, we'll we'll enable 
that person to have a session with a product manager. Similarly, for outstanding AR, we have a collections team. Like we're not, we'll, we'll help them. We'll say, hey, do you know there's this outstanding amount? But we have an expert for that as well. There's other functions where we will engage the right people. We'll engage our, we have a business intelligence component to our team. We have we call insights. There's insights experts. If there's, again, a particular need that's arisen, it's up to the CSM to make that judgment call and then pull in one of those resources. And it's it's perceived or positioned to the customer, hopefully perceived as such, that it's a, it's a special level of treatment that they're getting. This is a, an add-on thing that my CSM is going to go do for me. Be my internal advocate. I always explain... As CSMs, you're the external ambassador of the Mavenlink brand, and internally, you're the client's advocate. And it's up to you to be fostering those relationships on their behalf and helping them get what they need. Definitely. And and Scott, do you anticipate? I mean, Sabina brought up a great point about scale, right? It, it, you know, and the scalability of having multiple touch points for our customer. Do you anticipate you'll be able to always continue to scale this sort of two by two tag team model, or is that something that you're thinking about phasing out in the future to to allow for more growth? Not anytime soon, to be honest with you. Um, I I think our model and Sabina's model requires scale, right? Mm-hmm. It's just that we are consolidating some of our technological resources into a CSM, and she's consolidating some of the commer- commercial resources into a CSM. Yeah. But she has other support people that are doing that, other you know uh, outcomes engineers as well, right? So like, you're going to require more people with either yeah. place. I think the question is one of like how to hire, right? Like it, it is easier for me to hire a post-sales person who's strategy and, and tech focused than it is for me to find like tech and sales focused per se. Similarly, like it's, it's easier for me to find a, a salesperson that can do all the commercials and ex- not expect them to get into any of the tech goals. You know what I mean? So from just a pure talent perspective, I, I think that we've been able to to get a tremendous amount of talent in the way that we currently have set it up. And and that, I think, would be the biggest limiting factor for, and the biggest cause for us to change our strategy if we were going to. Excellent point. Definitely. Well, we're we're getting close to to the end. I think we actually had some some nice clarity there. I think more so than the first debate around uncovering sort of what was lying underneath between both organizations. And it's it's great to hear sort of these different approaches to the debate around renewal ownership. One point that I'd love to to end on, I know we sort of had a laugh about it, this ideal future state where renewals are sort of a given or or close to being a given because the customer is just getting so much value and they recognize that value. I think that exists for a lot of B2C products. I don't think you know anyone questions their Netflix renewals, despite Netflix putting out horrible content consistently for a while now. But that's another debate. Uh, Queen's Gambit, come on. But we, uh, <laughs> for the future of enterprise B2B tech, you know, how can we, are there things that we can adapt from that B2C model? Is it just any $100,000 contract will always be a question? I'm curious to get both of your thoughts on that to, to close us out today. You know, when I look at like B2C and, and renewals there, what they've really figured out is scale, right? You know, they are getting NPS scores automatically. They're updating you in advance of your renewal, right? They're telling you the value that's coming in the next month. They're, they're laying the the seeds for you to renew without it being like a salesperson calling you up and being like, would you like to renew your Netflix? <laughs> That'd be really um, weird. Right. Especially it's if it was so that weird. voice too. It's, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, there's like many reasons why, uh, you know, the B2C model doesn't totally apply to B2B. But if there is something that we can learn from it, that idea of a user journey and having like touch points with them in the lead up and 
to a renewal and afterwards. I think it's something that we can take away. Also finding ways to automate things. You know, not everything does have to be such a custom bespoke handcrafted letter out to someone. Sometimes, you know, just like making sure that your NPS uh, game is really, really solid is super important. Giving people ways to communicate with you without it going through an individual and, and having sort of ways to collect that feedback in, in a broad way is, is really valuable as well. So the automation, the user journey aspects of things are absolutely something that I think that we can can take some learnings from B2C companies about. Definitely. Sabina, what are, what are your thoughts? I agree that it's a unicorn to think that a customer will just have an on event and just move on to the next weeks of meetings. As we said earlier, I do think that as is that our industry or business to business SaaS products become more robust. There's also additional layers of sophistication that have to come with that. But that doesn't mean that it needs to be this this difficult, you know, rigor around it. I think that again, setting expectations up front, just as we do in a B2B or B2B2C model or B2C model, is setting the expectation and perhaps even the order form or the contract, the initial contract that's signed. Setting the expectation there that, you know, your renewal will commence on this date, as all of ours do, but making it more prominent and making it part of that initial dialogue that when this time comes, this is what you can expect. Along the way, we've talked about the different touch points that you'll have as a um, on your customer journey, and the renewal is part of that. And we look forward to celebrating with you and making it a theme of excitement and something that we, we in fact, make it more of a, a positive event. And instead of perhaps even calling it a renewal, maybe it's along the lines of, you know, um, Thanking them for the partnership, I think, is more of the way that I want to think about it. And we do, in fact, send client gifts after renewal. We, you know, have, have evolved the way that we we tackle that in time of COVID. But there's been times where we've sent, you know, pepperoni pizzas to the customer. We knew they're working late at night and thank them for the renewal. I think there's a part and a way to be able to do that that makes it a little bit easier by expectation setting and then also following through with a moment of celebration. There's no other way around it at this day and age, but I hope that in the future we can work together to, to have a true auto renewal if the potential portal or something um, that, that gives us, you know, some, some click on add-ons, you know, like with Omaha Steaks, yeah. you can add on, you know, the, the bacon wrap filet if you'd like, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, we're, I love the beginning and ending the conversation with, with food. I think we're all hungry now. Um, but no, it, it's a great point. And it, it, we, maybe we're just too early for the technology to, to be able to do that yet. But I think that's where the vision is and, and should be, right, in, in terms of making it a smoother transition. So no matter whether you have one pe- one person or two people that are doing it, it's a much easier, seamless process for you and for the customers. Well, this was fantastic. I think we had a pretty good settle in terms of, uh, you know, understanding the the motivations and what people can do uh, to approach it. So thank you both so much for weighing in on the debate and for continuing to add your thought expertise to the CS community at large. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a review and share this podcast with a friend. If you want to learn more about Catalyst, visit catalyst.io. Until next week, I'm Ben Wynn, and this was NPS I Love You. P.S. I love you. <laughs>